You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. So welcome to our 2019 Catalyst Women's Class. So our guest speaker had some uh, technical difficulties on the plane. So she, I know, so she literally just landed about 30 minutes ago. And she is on her way. She's on the premises. But she is running to the bathroom real quick. You know us girls have to do that. But when she comes, I want us to give her an incredibly warm welcome. Because you know how stressful that's been. She's been flying kind of through the night and trying to get here. Um, so let's give her an incredibly warm welcome when she does get here and she begins to speak. And let's give her our whole hearts. But this morning's class is going to be on becoming, right? And she's going to talk about that in more detail but I wanted to give us a little five-minute, uh, five to seven-minute TED Talk on becoming. Is that okay? <laughs> TED Talk it, huh? So, but what I wanted to say, I don't want to take away from what Christy's going to talk about. That's going to be our core lesson. But I want us to remember that... What we're becoming, we're becoming for Christ. And the main thing that keeps us, it's an uh, inspirational speaker that I listen to sometimes. And one of the main things that keep us from becoming what we're meant to become is the enemy within. And it's the in, and the enemy within is only let in by us. Do you guys know that? The enemy within is let in by us. So if they, if we don't let the enemy in, then we can become what we're meant to be. And what you're meant to be and what you're meant to become is already ordained and already sought out, already known by God. The problem is, is that it's sometimes not known by us. You know how sometimes somebody wants you to do something and you don't know what it is that they want you to do until you're like, you're like oh, I didn't know that. I wish I would have known or I would have done blah, 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 right? The incredible thing is about God who we serve, whom we serve, we can know exactly what he wants to do in our lives through his word. And so there's a couple of inspirational things that I want to um, share with you guys. is to remember that every day, every single day is important and that there are 86,400 seconds in every in each day. And what you do today and what you do in each of your days is cemented when the time turns and that day is gone. It's cemented. It's done. That's where we get memories from because that's what's done and then we remember and know what's done. So every single day is important. That's why when you wake up in the day, that's why we encourage in the church that you be in your Bible, that you know God so that God can direct and guide your days. But with us in Christ, each of our days is cemented when we go to bed, but we don't know what is promised the next day. That's why every single day 
today is important for us to live through Jesus and to become the image of what he wants us to become, right? You know, what drives you? What drives you? Greatness for God has to drive you to be what you're meant to be. And so we're talking about becoming like Christ, but God wants you to become your best you while you're here. And I hate that it's very hard for us as people, including me, to really believe that tomorrow is not promised. Because I'm a planner and I plan out, you know, I already have appointments next week and the week after that. One of my girlfriends was like, let's get something on the books, even if it's a month from now. And it almost feels like if we don't, if we really believe tomorrow is not promised, we maybe shouldn't be planning that far out. But we do, right? That's how our life rolls is that we plan. But even though we do that, we have to live. It's like people that believe that tomorrow is not promised. That is what forces us to live today to our fullest. When you don't live, when you don't live like tomorrow is not promised, what do we do? We become lazy and procrastinators. We say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, check in with me. Oh, I don't know. I'll text you. I'll let you know. Let me think about it. Like we procrastinate and we drag things out. But when we believe that, we live our fullest and our greatest in each day. And that's just hard to do. It's hard to feel. It feels like it's going to take too much energy to live my best and my greatest today. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I could be that loving and giving and change and deal with things and be my best each day. But Jesus did. So you can. So that's why every single day you've got to get up. Every single day, you've got to train yourself. You've got to beat your body and make it a slave to you. And the Bible says this. I'm not making that up. To be obedient to God's word. You've got to force yourself to be in God's word every single day. Being in God's word is not a matter of emotions. It's emotions, but it's also obedience. Being great for God is being obedient day after day, day after day, obedience after obedience until you reach where God wants you to be. And so our guest speaker is here and we are going to have her. Jamie, can you come up and introduce her and remember what we talked about? She's a fellow Californian, so we're going to really blow it up, right? Hi, everyone. I get the honor of introducing uh, Christy. So, Christy, I was in Christy and Jeff's ministry many years ago, so this is a huge treat for me to have Jeff and Christy back to speak to us. Um, So I'm going to give you a quick intro for Christy. Um, So I'm from Orange County. Sorry, I forgot to say that. Uh, so Christy grew up in a small town in Mississippi, and as a teenager, she was Miss Teen Mississippi and went on to become Miss Teen USA. She went to the University of Mississippi, where she graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism. She then moved to L.A. and continued to work as an actress and model in the entertainment industry. 
During her modeling career, she represented companies such as Sunkist, Reebok, Ford, and Maybelline. And at 25, she became a Christian in the arts and media sports ministry in Hollywood. Anyone from Hollywood? Awesome. There you go. Uh, and um, her dream, really, her life dream changed at that time drastically. Uh, her desire at that point was to really help women to change their lives for God, the way that God had changed her life. She went into, the, um, into training for the women's ministry. That's where she met her husband, Jeff. And uh, they were eventually ordained as an evangelist and women's ministry leader. They've been serving together and helping churches for the last 20 years. They're currently serving in Atlanta. Where's our Atlanta person? All right. <laughs> in the North, they're in the North River Church of Christ. They have two teenage daughters, 14 and 16. Her passion is helping women build meaningful and beautiful lives in more ways than one. She's now a Zumba instructor as well for the last 10 years and a fitness coach. So let's go ahead and welcome Christy Hickman. You're going to know because I got to tell you because I just have to vent, okay? Just 15 seconds, which is really like 45 seconds. So yesterday, we're supposed to, there's two flights from Atlanta to San Diego, early morning or kind of later at night. So we get the early morning so that my husband and I can get here before the conference, like have a day together in San Diego because we have two teenage girls, you know. We get to the, I mean, I literally get up, we get up at 4.45. We have to leave our house at 4.45, right? Get to the airport and this line, there's no way we can make it through the um, security check line. Lots of people not making their flights. We don't make our flights. So we go back home. Okay, we have to rebook our flight. That was disappointment. No couple San Diego day with my hubby and I, whatever, you know. So then um, we're, they give us a flight. We fly out late. Last night, get to Denver, spend the night, and then get up again at like five, early flight this morning to get here, right? Thank you. Oh, my hubby. Uh, and, and so we do that, and we get to Denver, we get on that plane, and we sit on the tarmac for an hour, thank you, because they were having technical difficulties. So then we get into the room at 1230. But not only do we get into the room at 1230, but we don't have a suitcase. Because they're like, oh, your suitcase didn't make it here. But we'll make sure it makes it to San Diego. Okay, whatever. Awesome. Let's just go get a, you know, little toothbrush and some toothpaste and whatever. I sleep in my clothes. We get up. We go to the airport this morning. And everything's like, okay, it's not the first choice. But we're going to make it plenty of time. We get on the airport. Uh, plane and we're waiting, waiting. And then the lady says, we're having technical difficulties. It's going to be a while. So if you guys want to onboard the airport, the airplane and walk around, get coffee, it'll be at least an hour. Um, I was just like, oh. um, well, anyway, long story short, they had to change every wheel on the airplane <laughs> to change out the tires. I mean, you might want to check the tires before you, like, put the wings up or down or, you know, the little sound. Check that. I mean, so that would have been a very interesting landing. So whatever. We get here. It's like 
25, we're walking. So I just, I've never done a lesson at a big conference with greasy hair, ponytail, no makeup, no lip gloss, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so happy to be here. And it goes better with my glasses. I'm almost 50 years old now and I gotta wear glasses. I got two more years, but I'm getting close. I'm 48. So let's open with a prayer. Dear God, thank you for letting me vent to my sisters. God, thank you so much for getting every one of us here, no matter all the different ways that Satan has tried to stop us from getting to this point in our lives and to getting to this point in our day and our weekend. I know this conference is changing lives. Uh, God, I know you are working. I know your Holy Spirit is here working powerfully. And that is why Satan will do whatever he can to discourage us, God. But we will not, we will not allow that, God. We will march on as strong women because we are so excited about what you are helping us to become. We can't see, we can't wait to see what you are helping us to become. And we especially can't wait to see who we will become with you eternally one day. God, let that fill our dreams, our hearts. Uh, speak through your spirit at this time, God, and really guide every word, every second of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So becoming, what God wants us to become. Becoming is a process. It is a period of time. It's not a snap your finger, you know, wiggle your nose, bam, magician trick. It's a process. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today in becoming about what that process can look like sometimes for us as disciple women. You know, we are supposed to be coming like who? Like Christ. Okay, with a twist, little ponytail, whatever your individualism that you add to what Jesus is. Jesus is the amazing man that had it all. And then we all got doled out like little bitty pieces of him. Even, But being together, we're all going to rub off on each other and spur one another on. And I'm going to become more like you and you're going to become more like me and we're we're going to become more like her. And all that is making us become more like Jesus. Because we all have some Jesus in us and we're all lacking some Jesus. So it's a collective thing. This becoming is not just an individual. What am I going to become? But this is who are we going to become as a group? You know, as a church. That's why times like this are so important. That's why we're so important in each other's lives to be interconnected. Um, you know, beauty really is, they say, in the eye of the beholder, that old saying. If we would see us the way God sees us, we would walk around feeling so beautiful and so valued. We would know we were on a path to becoming special. Um, I think it would cut out so much of our anxiety and our fear and our criticalness of ourselves and of others. You know, when you're critical of yourself, you're critical of others too. You can't just be one or the other. If you catch yourself uh, being tempted to be critical of others, you're probably really critical of yourself. Um, but if we could see the way that God's eyes look, 
even in the things that he knows we need to change, he loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way, you know? So if you think about the different stages you've had, I mean, I, I told how old I was earlier, so I was just thinking, I'm just thinking even superficial right now, okay, just like stages, like the big beauty pageant hair with the bangs that stood out like a football helmet, and like the, I had that, then it was like I followed the Grateful Dead a little bit, I had some little dreadlocks. And Birkenstocks, they just came back in style. I just got a new pair of Birkenstocks. I had it, like, since college. I was like, yes. Anyway, um, think of all just your own hairstyles. You've probably been through, like, ten. You know, we're going to go through these stages. And my my two daughters, they're 14 and 16-year-olds. So, you know, God's helping them become little women. So uh, we just experiment, I guess, with the hair. They've got this red, you know, shocking, I I think it's called bold red dye. I bought it several times. I can't remember the brand, Nutrice or something like that. And so she wanted to do part of her hair that color. She's 16 to match her soccer jersey because they're going to state playoffs. But then little sister wanted to do it too. Her school colors are not red. They're like black and gold. They're different schools. She wanted her top not red. So for the last two weeks, I have had red dye all over my bathroom, my house. But it's funny, I was working on this lesson. I was thinking, okay, I look back at those, like, hair pictures and I cringe. They're going to look back at this red hair cringe. And my daughter thinks it's so cool because from the front, it's all blonde. And you turn to the back, it's nothing but bright fuchsia red. You know, she loves it. She's, like, walking from the back, you know. Um, (laughs) but you know, we're going to look back at the hard times one day and smile and even laugh. Like the Bible talks about the proverb woman can laugh at the days to come. If we'll trust the process that God is creating a future, that's his version. And his version is always better than our version, but to become who God wants us to become We have to let go of our version. You know, God's writing chapters. Now, the book Becoming is, I think at this point, the greatest um, best-selling autobiography ever. It's on track to be ever written, Michelle Obama's book Becoming. So, um, which I'm so happy for her. Think about how, I don't know how many copies of the Bible have been sold, right? Rahab's autobiography, who we're going to talk about a little bit today, she's even, her name is even more of a legacy for all cultures, all times, all generations. Pretty amazing. That's what God can do when he writes the book. So we have to let God write our book. You know, Rahab, she was a bold action figure. I don't know if you like the Avengers and Captain America. We love, 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 love that in our house. And um, I love Scarlett Johansson. Um, maybe that's where they got the pink hair idea from. I love Captain America. And I, when I envision Rahab, I envision like if they made a movie saga about Rahab, that she would be bold like that. She was a hero to Israel. She was put in the lineage of Jesus. 
Um, she single-handedly helped Israel, helped Israel gain probably the most important conquest and military campaign in uh, going in and capturing the promised land. Um, it has been said, I was reading all these books and commentaries um, about Rahab, and one of them said that she was the linchpin in one of Israel's greatest military campaigns ever. God shows her, a woman, to save his people and ultimately to save her, her people, her family. Um, and her name that will forever be remembered was Rahab. But I want to look at a little bit of the process of creating this heroine, okay? So turn over to Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies... And said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So at one point, I'm going to assume that Rahab probably had less hope of anything good and heroic to come from her life than probably anyone sitting in this room. Uh, she had no respect she had no true love. She was a disgrace to her family. She was a disappointment to her mom and dad, probably. She was scandalous. She was not honorable. She was openly immoral. She was known as a sinful woman, even in a pagan culture. And in a lot of this, the things I was reading, it talked about how the Amorite culture is known to this day as being one of the most violent and sexually perverse um, cultures of all, historically all time. So that's the culture already, and she was a moral bottom feeder, if you will, of that environment, a prostitute. Now, a backstory isn't given on what it was like for her growing up as a little girl, but I think we could piece that together, right? We're all born with hopes and dreams, wide-eyed and innocent. She was, at some point, a pretty, innocent little girl. And something went wrong, and we don't know when. Maybe she left home looking for excitement, uh, maybe freedom, you know, um, adventure. The scripture shows us that she manufactured and dyed linen cloth. So she had a career probably before she became a prostitute. So some, somewhere in all of that, something turned. But she had a career, a house, and then we know she took a different path. You know, maybe her career was struggling and she needed extra money for it. And she rationalized, I'll do this one time, two times, you know. Maybe uh, her career had done great and she wanted more money and thought, wow, this is, this is a great way to get a house on the wall. You know, I don't want to live on the first 
first story. I want to live in the penthouse on the roof, on the wall. Something enticed her. Maybe it was stories of glamour and romances. Maybe she thought, you know, the pretty woman story was really going to happen for her. But, um, you know, something had fed her an addiction to getting attention from her physical experience and sensual experiences, and she sold out. She built a prosperous financial life with a primetime house on the wall, but you know how empty she was inside. You know, I can relate a little bit to that. I grew up in a small town in Mississippi, and my parents were divorced when I was very young. And my mother is a very strong, opinionated woman and would always say things to me like, you know, you can be the president. You don't have to marry the president. Just just remember that when you grow up. I'll never forget her saying that. <laughs> At that point, I wasn't even thinking about marriage yet. But as I got older, it's like, man, my mom is like, you know, she don't play. <laughs> And uh, so she put me in every kind of lesson there was. I was expected to have, you know, straight A's. I graduated. I had a full um, academic, academic and leadership, leadership scholarship to Ole Miss. And then at 16, she said, you want to be in the Miss, you know, Mississippi pageant? I said, yes, I won that. So then I went to the Miss Teen USA pageant, and I won that. So then um, for the next year, my roommates were Miss Universe and Miss USA and our chaperones. And we lived um, in Westwood on the top of the floor of a big penthouse down there. Down there. And um, that was my life. And we had a white limousine to come take us places during the day and a black one for night. And we made appearances and we met all the, you know, famous people and had a full bank account. And I was just 16. But it was smack dab middle of the world, too. That year is when I really started struggling with an eating disorder. Um, I couldn't trust anyone um, to be my friend. You know, and there probably were a lot of really sweet girls that I labeled wrongly because I was so insecure. Things like that just thrust on you. You don't really know who to trust because a lot of people were definitely not out for your good. And, and definitely disappointed you. You, you kind of like, well, who can I? Who, who really does love me? Does anyone really love me? Even my mom. Does she just love me because she's been trying to, to get me to be Miss World Universe since I was five? Um, what if I was, and I said this to her one time, what if I had terrible grades and I never accomplished anything? And I was all state track runner, basketball player. Um, and so in my mind, I had this thing that, you know, just true love. That's what I need, just one true love, like, you know, the boy. And and that's the only thing I'm missing. I have money and all everything, but that's the only thing I don't have. So in college, that kind of set my sight on that's, that's what I need to find. If you're looking, you can definitely find something. Um, so, you know, we put like blinders on. <laughs> The boy blunders, you know. Um, anyway, so that was a horrible five-year abusive relationship that just tore my soul out, really, because I was trying to make it something that it never was. And Satan just saw a way to just get in my heart and break it into a thousand pieces. 
And I remember running outside the back door of his house. And this is when I was still in Oxford at University of Mississippi. It was the middle of the night. And we were fighting and just falling down. And there's the yard and then past that. It's a rural area. It was kind of like taller grass weeds. And just falling down on my knees and crying and sobbing. And knowing, it still makes me emotional to think about this moment, knowing I wasn't living right. I grew up going to church. I grew up a good Baptist Mississippi girl, and I knew right and wrong. Um, I knew how I was disappointing my mama and my mother, and I knew all the things I was doing. I was lying, and, and I didn't feel, I felt so ashamed of who I'd become, and I couldn't even pray to God. And I just said, God, please help me. And I know at that moment that God cried with me. I know it. Fast forward to about 10 years ago. I told you I have a 16-year-old. She was at pre-K, and she was running. They were playing chase. She fell on a swing, a metal swing, a jungle gym kind of thing. And landed laughing and the front two teeth one flew out one went all the way up in her gums and the other was sticking straight up right so i get jeff we go to the emergency room and um you know there's just so much blood i mean just i've never seen that much blood keep coming keep i guess it's a really vascular area so the doc she was just screaming right so the doctor said there's actually that one tooth is still there it's just right up in there i'm just gonna yank it down so i am ah i never i never like felt that much and now this is these are baby teeth and she's totally fine there's nothing, there's no scrapes, there's no brain damage, there's no broken arms, right? It just hurts. And she doesn't know if it's ever going to end. She's like five or four, you know? And my husband, my big old strong man husband, is turned around with his back to the wall. And I see his shoulders just like this. Just crying. So then I'm like, okay, you know. But I feel like... God knows it's a baby tooth and there's just a lot of blood and there's no damage and we're going to get through it and we're only four. But that doesn't mean he's not crying in the process when we're crying. And so I think that should help us to trust the process because we have a God who's with us as a loving father through the process. And so Rahab you know, she was hurting, but maybe she was hard. But she, she, you know, she was hurting. And God was hurting for her. And so God has started already this plan in motion. Ready? And, and she, was, it, she was ready for change. She was ready to take a risk. Now, if you think about how many risks have you taken in your life? How many of them were the right risk? Because that is a big difference. You need to ask yourself, is this the right risk I'm taking? Because Rahab had taken a lot of risks. I had too. But now God's saying, I need you to take the right one. And I'm going to send the men, men of all people. Right? She would have really had an issue trusting men. 
But God said, nope, I'm going to send in the most unexpected way, a moment, an opportunity for you to trust this God that you've been hearing about and take a risk. You know, while she was doing everything that she was doing in the middle of her sinfulness, God was still planning this. Like, do you feel like God leaves you when you're in the middle of sinfulness? Do you feel afraid to cry out to him? Or do you feel like God can't use me right now? I can't reach out to anybody right now. I can't help people know God right now. I can't. I'm just unusable right now. I need to, I don't know. I need to get myself together. I'm, because that's not at all what we see here. Rahab was in the middle of it and God was setting wheels in motion, not just to save her, but her, her, uh, telling the spies, all of the people here, our hearts are melting in fear. That's what gave them faith to go back to Israel and report to Joshua, we can do it. Isn't that crazy? She gave the spies faith. But anyway, let's keep reading because I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, I don't know if you ever watched that show, uh, 24. Oh, I love that show. Um, Jack Bauer. Um, Jack Bauer would know all the schematics or schematics, schematics of this whole hotel, right? Well, if you're spies and you want to go spy out Jericho, where would you want to go? The prime spot on the wall where from her house, they could take measurements of the city. They could assess everything, you know. So think about Acts 17. I think sometimes we think about that when you think about reaching out to people, our neighbors and our coworkers to help people understand um, why we love God. Acts 17, verse 28 and 29. You don't have to turn there, but God talks about he determines the places that we should live. See, that was even back old school, Old Testament. God was determining where Rahab should live so that those two spies could come on the wall and do what they needed to do. He was lining it up. But let's start reading. We're going to go back into Joshua chapter 2, verse 2. And let's see how God starts working on Rahab's heart. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof, which are used in making linen. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shehan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. They were like Goliaths. 
whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. And give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Wonder why she talked about her family. Wonder if she was estranged for her fa- from her family at that point as a prostitute. I wonder when men were traveling and coming through her house and talking about the stories of Egypt and all of those things, I wonder what wheels were turning in her mind, right? Because she was storing all these things up. She was storing all the, and it was building faith that God is powerful. And so you may not be on the other side of it yet, but faith is the key. Faith is so important. You can't trust God with your life without faith. You know, you have to believe that God is fighting for you. You know, God says, I got you. I got a plan. And Satan says, did God really say, you know how he did it to to Eve in the garden? Did God really say that for your life, I mean, I know for her life, but did God really say for you, you should keep praying for that? Did God really say he could use you in that way? And God is, he's trying to give us faith. He's trying to give us faith. We have to fight for our faith because Satan is always trying to make God smaller and our giants bigger. Our problem's bigger and God's smaller. And it's the other way around. But Satan's a liar. And he wants to trick you and deceive you. Faith is bigger than any sin. Because Jesus has overcome sin on the cross. There is no sin too big that God cannot pull you out. But we have to be able to confront this sin in our life. But we can't do that without faith. We can't. We think we'll drown. It's embarrassing. It's too hard. God God won't really love me. I mean, it's so hard to embrace the pain that's going to come when you start dealing with your life. Because, you know, when Rahab was laying in bed at night and listening to the stuff that she was hearing and feeling empty and probably just a coldness seeping in her heart, maybe she was crying. Maybe she was missing her mom and dad. Maybe she was wishing she wasn't a disappointment. Maybe she was just so hurt over the bad choices she had made. Um, you know, she, it wasn't a good situation either way around. There's no way around it. I think sometimes God will show us the most extreme examples. And so then we'll think, well, I'm not that extreme. I'm not a prostitute. But. What things have you prostituted your heart out to other than God that don't fulfill? You know, when Jesus said, whatever's in the heart, that's what I see. 
He said, I see the sins in the heart. I see the envy. I see the criticalness. I see the jealousy. And I see the faithlessness. You know what? If you can just get faith on straight, you can overcome every one of those other sins. The faithlessness is what you ha- is what we have to fight against. Don't let Satan attack your faith. You know, Rahab was you, they were using her and she was using them. Right? She was you, she was being used and she was using. She was being sinned against just as much as she was sinning. But let's talk about shame for just a minute. Okay? Satan wants to shame you. There's all kinds of shame going around. There's body shame. There's food shame. It's like, goodness, if I eat something with gluten in it. Um, I mean, I'm being funny, but there's all kinds of, there's new creative ways that Satan is coming up to shame, coming up with to shame us. And then we shame each other. Goodness, if we really got real about the ugliest, deepest, darkest stuff that we really do feel ashamed of, you know? And what if Rahab would have allowed that to hold her back? Because first she didn't ask him this stuff and go about, you know, whatever her chores were that night. She hid them. She did all She came up with a quick plan. I mean, I love me some Rahab. She came, she came up with like a quick plan. I think it was the Holy Spirit, right? She said this to the king. She did that. She hid them. But then she went back and she made that request. Think about all the shame she could have held on to to think, I don't deserve to ask them for anything. Not only do they look down in our culture, but I'm a prostitute in the culture. But the faith in God that had been growing gave her the strength to overlook her shame. And, you know, I want to read one of um, my favorite passages that deals with shame because I think that's a big thing for women. I really do. I know it is for me. And we'll come back to Joshua, but I want to look in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. All right, there it is. Hebrews, James. Okay. So we're just going to start in uh, verse 30 and 31 of chapter 11. And then we'll go on. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Then go to chapter 12 and start in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. You know, I, I, I look, what, it, what does that mean? I was really meditating on that. What does that mean that Jesus scorned the shame of the cross? That was part of the process because 
Next, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not ashamed of our shame. He's not ashamed of the disgrace that he was to the people on the cross. It was part of the process. (laughs) And you know what? They didn't take the name prostitute out of the Bible. God could have chosen just to call her Rahab and not share that with us. But God said, I'm not ashamed of that part of her life. We're going to be who God wants us to become, not because of our worst failures, but in not in spite of them. I'm sorry. We're going to become who God wants us to become, not in spite of our worst failures, but because of them. Because of what we overcome, we will be inspirational. Because of the things that were hard and ugly and not so pretty great times. That's who, that's what's going to transform us to become the person that God wants us to become. Um, you know, the messages we're getting through to Rahab, she put herself out there. I want you to remember this. Playing it safe kills your faith. That's like, could be easier to remember, right? Playing your, playing it safe kills your faith. You gotta put yourself out there. When's the last time you put yourself out there? If you play it safe, you're gonna be dying a slow death spiritually. And then one day it'll just be a sudden one. But for years and years, you just keep playing a little more safe, a little more safe, a little more safe. That's a slow spiritual death. That's not who God wants us to be. But Rahab had a chance to respond. You have a chance to respond to this conference, to this class. You have a chance to respond to whoever God puts in your life. And it may be people you wouldn't even have expected it. It was these two men, these two spies. Um, but she responded. And you know what? So cool. God gave her specific direction. Do you like specific direction? Y'all are good. I don't. I'd rather somebody tell me like in general and I can figure it out my way, um, how I can implement that. (laughs) Just throw something out there and no, I know we all need it and it is the most helpful, but she, she didn't put her little twist or twist on it or tweak it. She did exactly what God said. And isn't it interesting that he told her something to do that involved dyeing a piece of cloth? Right? Since that was her old career, it was kind of like sending her back. So she already had to start turning away from her way of life. So she dyed that cord of scarlet and she put it in the window and she quit listening to the world around her. And then she had to wait. She, could people tell a difference between your life and the world? A marked distinctive difference. Are you constantly turning towards the direction of God, following his directions, specific ones, and having people that you can trust in your life? Because once the spies left, it was her whole culture. You know, think about the woman our culture says that we should become. What pops in your mind when you think of the woman, the culture, our culture says we could should become? It's not a godly one. You know, and that's what she was surrounded by. But she had to wait. We have to learn to wait well. We have to learn to wait 
well. Don't stop. Keep putting yourself out there. Keep taking risk. My girls both um, do sports. Me and my husband both did sports and all through high school and him in college. So we put the girls in everything when they were little and said, whatever sticks and they like, we'll pick one thing and that's what they can do. One thing. And one ended up doing basketball, one ended up doing soccer. But so it's been like 10 years. They're 14 and 16. So they started around age five. It's crazy where we are. I mean, I'm serious. People are putting, they have like three, four, five, I think there were six year olds in these things. I said, what? If my kid's going to be that far behind, if she doesn't start at three, then she doesn't need to be trying those sports anyway. Wow. I'm not doing that. So, but it, so it's been about 10 years. I say that, say it's been about 10 years. And I, we have reached out and reached out and reached out and reached out and felt weird and felt odd and invited people and uh, tried to share my faith. I want to, I want, I want people to know why I walk out the door joyful, why I feel loved, all these things that we experience. I want people to know that Uh, women out there are hurting. They really are. I'm so glad somebody reached out to me. And so, um, you know, we brought all of Hannah's soccer team to church one time with us, you know, but then About two years, I was having a time with God in the morning, and uh, I was just praying, praying through a new set of team to reach out to, and I really like the team mom, and she's like the booster club president, and she's just so helpful. I just really liked her a lot, and her husband was the coach, and um, so I just, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, tell her, just text her and say, I'm grateful for you and your family, so I did, and she... um, text me right away. Hey, do you think that, uh, you could do some deeper Bible study with me? I'm hungry. I am not kidding you. She said hungry. Cause that's how she talks. Actually, she, she, if she were here, she's out hungry and Texas said hungry, but, um, cause she was a choir director at her church and, and very faithful in, in her church and everything, but she wasn't feeling like she was getting deep Bible study. So we started studying the Bible for like nine months because, and, and I never said not a word about her leaving her church. She just came to her own convictions that I need to, wow, I need to be with the body of disciples. And anyway, her whole family's come with her. And then from, from that one thing, you know, she started inviting everyone on our team and then the the uh women's high school basketball coach became a disciple in the singles ministry then her husband did then another mom did then another mom came out to church because she was hearing about it and she was someone that had been a disciple like 20 years ago and in new york and didn't know it was the same church and got restored and i mean we had and they all have kids and then another man got baptized i mean we have this whole little but i just say that to say I, for 10 years, have felt like, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. And then one day, the floodgates just opened. Maybe it'll be another 10 years before, you know. I know Jeff prayed about our neighbors, like, wanting to share a spiritual bond with their neighbors forever and forever and forever. And then one day, people we had reached out to that had said no, she showed up on the door and was like, can we come to church with y'all? So, same experience for him. But you just got to keep taking the risk and wait well and trust that God will use you. You know, that cord flapping in the wind, 
all those days, weeks, because the spies had to go back. They had to cross the Jordan River, which is a whole process. They had to circumcise all the Israelites that were not born in Egypt. Then they all had to heal. Then they had to march, you know, close. Then they had to go around seven days. Can you imagine what she could be thinking? Did they forget about me? Um, are they going to remember? And then she had moved her family into her house. So I wonder what reconciliation had to go there. But I bet it was a great one. Um, she could have been like, you know what? Even if we just all die together, it's good enough. I'm happy. I got my family back under my roof. I'm making my linen again. But they remembered her, and God remembered her. And uh, she continued to become a hero. And God took the sting and the shame of the name Rahab the prostitute away. And he made it a hero. You know, probably the rest of her journey is just as, as interesting. Um, then, you know, she went to live in Israel, had her whole family. She had to learn how to integrate into that culture. She married what most of the scholars believe was one of the spies. Um, ended up being her her family, her family line. But I just want to see a woman in the Bible that God helped become the heroine of her own story because God wrote the chapters. But, and these are the things that kind of like, you know, takeaways, okay? In order to become and let God write the chapters of your book, you have to fight for your faith so that you can trust the process because faith and trust go together. Secondly, you have to embrace the pain so that God can get rid of your shame. Embrace the pain so that God can get rid of your shame. Thirdly, you have to put yourself out there. Playing it safe kills your faith. Respond with action. Respond in truth and action, right? And lastly, let God use your life, even in the difficult, hard, not-so-perfect times, to inspire other people, to change other people's lives, and to literally save people spiritually. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here with you, for real. And thank you so much, Charlie, for being patient with all the text. That was incredible, right? Worth the wait. Let's thank Christy again. For sharing her life, her story, her family's life, her girl's life, and just uh, even more importantly, just how God has been working in her life and through her life and her encouragement to let God work in our lives uh, as we become what he wants us to become. So it's been a great retreat so far. God is really moving, right? You know, it is, was God's plan that we are here and that we paid and registered and came. I'm just so encouraged by God's spirit moving. And right now we're going to have a lunch break where we can have lunch with each other and talk. And there's some of us that are going to go on the um, hope outing uh, to pass out the packets. 
And then we'll come back this evening. We have a big long break to fellowship and do whatever we like because we want to do that too this weekend, right? And then we're going to come back right here at 630 and have a wonderful evening. And then we'll get to hear her husband, Jeff, this evening, who will blow it out also. And then after that, we're going to have a lot of fun getting our groove on and uh, having a great time together all in God's name and, and through his love. So let's break and have a great break and be back here at 630, ready to go. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.